Sometimes it's just politics as usual, and then something comes along that changes everything. In our lifetime, the political landscape has shifted on its axis several times. Certainly going back to the mid-20th century, the Nixon-Kennedy debate, for one, changed the predicate of television as a part of what it takes to win an election. Talk radio has also done that. Certainly advocacy journalism, or yellow journalism as some have called it, has been with us since Gutenberg first cleaned the ink off the printing press. Pamphleteers once ruled the ballot box. Years later, Hearst was quoted as saying to one of his reporters, You provide me the pictures, I'll provide the war. Long before talk radio, the likes of Father Coughlin and Walter Winchell and Lowell Thomas would use radio news to shape and shade the public's perception of events of the day. But before 1996, this kind of journalism had not been able to manipulate the power of television. The barriers to entry had been too high and the public perhaps too wise. But all of that would change in the hands of a former Nixon ad man and former NBC executive named Roger Ailes. With money from our modern-day William Randolph Hearst, Rupert Murdoch, he would bring to television a new product that was neither fair nor balanced. How Ailes did it and why is at the heart of Gabriel Sherman's new book, The Loudest Voice in the Room. Gabriel Sherman is a contributing editor at New York Magazine. His journalism has appeared in the New York Times, the New Republic, the New York Observer, and other publications. He has served as a commentator on national public radio, CNN, and MSNBC. Since 2012, he's been the Bernard Schwartz Fellow at the New American Foundation. And it is my pleasure to welcome Gabriel Sherman to the program today to talk about the loudest voice in the room, how the brilliant, bombastic Roger Ailes built Fox News and divided a country. Gabriel Sherman, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Delight to have you here. One of the things that is so striking about this story is the direct line that starts to emerge in your book between Nixon, the silent majority, Nixon's sense of resentment to Southern strategy, all of the things that were part of Nixon and Roger Ailes, and how it shaped his worldview, and ultimately how it would shape Fox News. Talk a little about that. Well, that's a a wonderful question, and I think it gets to the heart of why Fox News is more than a television news network. It's a phenomenon, because it was born not in 1996 uh, when it went live uh, for the first time, but really uh, its its origins can be traced directly to to the cultural tumult of the late 1960s, and specifically the 1968 presidential campaign. Uh, Roger Ailes, the founder of Fox News, was a, uh, a young uh, television advisor to the Nixon campaign. He had talked his way onto the campaign after meeting Nixon on the set of the Mike Douglas show, where he was the uh, executive producer. Roger Ailes was the uh, 27-year-old executive producer of the Mike Douglas show. He was a, a television wonderkind, and he talked his way into a job on the Nixon campaign, and it was in that experience that he imbibed the worldview that the coastal elites were persecuting uh, the masses in the heartland, that the East Coast media was had it in for Nixon. And if you, and I went to the Nixon presidential library, and I consulted the archives, and you find these amazing memos where the Nixon team was finding ways that they could go around the me, uh, mainstream media, they could leapfrog the media and speak directly to the people. And it was in this creative ferment that Roger Ailes absorbed these ideas that he would later apply at Fox News. And, of course, part of what gave Ailes publicity at the time and recognition 
was that Joe McGinnis chronicled so much of this in his famous book, The Selling of the President, 1968. Yeah, it's a a wonderful irony that the conservative icon Roger Ailes owes his career in many ways to a liberal Joe McGinnis, a a, a brilliant author in his own right who wrote a landmark book uh, about the 68 campaign that really uh, made the, the men behind the scenes, the handlers, the advisors, the TV men, the stars, you know, up until that point, Theodore White had written the, uh, the, the, the biggest campaign books and by focusing on the, the men themselves, the candidates, the principals. And McGinnis took a different tact, focused on the, the image makers. And it kind of, now we, you know, in our present time, we think of, you know, advisors and, and spinners as, as celebrities. But back then, it was really a, a, a new concept. And McGinnis catapulted Ailes to stardom. Um, and he was on his way and never turned back. Part of what also ties Nixon and Ailes is this understanding, this innate understanding that they both had of that seething resentment in a a significant part of the white middle class population towards all the change that was happening in the 60s, running right up to the resentment about change that's taking place today in so many respects. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I, that's a through line that, that it has existed throughout, uh, Roger Ailes' life. I, I write about it in, in some detail. And it was, uh, it was really one of the inspirations for this book. Uh, let me just back up for a moment. You know, I set out to write a book on the history of Fox News. I've covered media for a decade. It's the most dominant cable news network. It's ratings double that of CNN and MSNBC. And very early on into my reporting, more than three years ago, I realized you could not write about Fox Ailes without doing it through the story of Roger Ailes, because the network is the complete and total expression of his worldview. And what I learned in my reporting is that you go back to Warren, Ohio, the factory town where Roger Ailes grew up, and he grew up in a uh, very middle-class household. His father was a factory foreman. Uh, he ran the, janitor, the, the maintenance crew at the Packard Automotive Plant. And his father was a very... Uh, as a man who was consumed by his resentments. I interviewed Roger Ailes' brother at length, and he described his father as a man who never quite achieved much in life and always felt people got breaks and really uh, kind of led Ailes and the family to have this feeling that you know, their people were out to get him. And it was in that environment that you can see the seeds of, of that resentment that Ailes obviously imbibed working for Nixon and obviously has applied to such great success at Fox News. And you can't understand Fox without understanding at the heart of it, it's, it's, it's tied to the notion of grievance politics. The other part of it that is the other half, I suppose, of this story is the genius of Ailes in one crystallizing the vision of how to create those wedge issues, number one, and number two, the way he has been so consistent through the years in imposing that vision so consistently in Fox News. Well, I think that's right. And uh, you know, wedge issues is, uh, is is a skill that Roger Ailes has has developed probably better than anyone of his generation. And and he has a whole uh, a whole set of them in his toolkit. You know, when he was a political consultant in the 1970s and 80s, um, he uh, played on issues of class, race, um, geography. Uh, crime was a major uh, wedge issue that he exploited to such success, most famously on behalf of George H.W. Bush, um, when he dismembered Michael Dukakis as soft on crime. And we all remember uh, the infamous Willie Horton ad that Roger Ailes you know, has said to this day he had nothing to do with. But the George H.W. Bush campaign did produce an ad about the 
uh, issue of prison furloughs and the revolving door uh, 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 debate. And that was a uh, that was a direct uh, appeal to suburban voters, white voters who were scared about inner city crime. And uh, and that has been Ailes's genius, and he has applied it to a 24-hour news network. To what extent does the view put forth by Fox that that certainly Ailes has been the the progenitor of, does it reflect Ailes's own view, or is it simply something that he's learned how to construct? Well, that's a great question, and that gets to the heart of what is Fox News, because, um, you know, in in the network's history, there has been a roiling debate about whether... Fox News is just cynical television. Is it just a, a profit center, or is the politics real? You know, is it is this really a vision that that Roger Ailes, um, the creator of the network, has for America, and by extension, uh, Rupert Murdoch, the the financial uh, backer of Fox? Are these the politics that these men have? And what I learned in the course of my reporting is that the politics for Roger Ailes are very real. Now, Rupert Murdoch is a pragmatist. He's He's a conservative on some issues. He's he's forged alliances with liberals on others. But if you if you look at Roger Ailes, the man who who whose vision created Fox News, the politics are real. He is a right wing conservative. He believes in conservative uh, ideas. He is a neoconservative on foreign policy. Um, so so it is real. Now that said, Roger Ailes is a visionary programmer. He's a television genius, and he knows that to kind of achieve your ends, you have to be. Uh, able to to be creative and now there are cynical aspects of Fox News that he uses to get his audience all uh, riled up but at the heart of it the, the very heart of what Fox News is and what its mission is is real and it is to serve Roger Ailes's personal political agenda one of the other things that speaks to to Ailes genius and it's another interesting part of this story is how long he has been successful in doing this certainly if we look historically and other kinds of advocacy journalism, yellow journalism, call it whatever, it tends to run its course. And the amazing thing with Fox News and Ailes is how long he's been able to maintain the energy of this. Well, it's been quite a run. Uh, The network launched in October of 1996, and you know, since 2002, it's been the number one uh, rated cable news network. But I think it's a really important point to make that we're starting to see Fox News run its course. You know, 2012 was supposed to be the year that Roger Ailes was going to demonstrate his true power. You know, he declared uh, to his executives that he wanted to elect the next president. He set it out to make it his mission to use Fox News to defeat Barack Obama. And ultimately, that was unsuccessful. And what we're seeing is that the limits of this kind of wedge issue grievance politics, the, the the, the, the old silent majority coalition is is getting older it's it's starting to fracture on around certain issues um and ultimately ailes is confronting the limits of his power and the end of my book really you know follows this long journey through american history to where he is today which is that he's staring out at a country that is changing that he doesn't quite fully understand new technology new media is rising up and so fox is confronting the limits of its power which raises the question in looking back on this, and you certainly deal with this a lot in the book, which raises the question, the degree to which Ailes created the situation in the country or whether he exploited it, or whether it was a situation, you know, as Ed Murrow talked about with respect to Joe McCarthy, that he didn't create the situation of fear, he merely exploited it. Well, I uh, I, I, I sort of um, 
view Ailes as a, uh, he's a visionary, not because he was the first to identify something, uh, but he was the best at taking advantage of it. And I've, I've said in the past that a, a helpful way to really think about Roger Ailes is to look at him as a Steve Jobs-like figure. And it's obvious on its surface, it seems like a strange comparison because their politics uh, are so different. But uh, if you just bear with me, I'll explain. You know, Steve Jobs was not the first person who created the personal computer. There was many other people, IBM and others, and, and who were working on personal computers. But he was the first one to really figure out how personal computers could relate to people. And if you look at the, the, the phenomenons he created, the iPod, the iPad, you know, they weren't the first products, but they were the best. And I think Roger Ailes, in terms of mass media in the late 20th century, and especially cable news, he came along and he figured out there were all of these schisms in the culture, these divisions, these wedges, and he figured out how to use television to exploit them and to take advantage of them. And in that way, he's a true visionary because until he came along, no one had quite put all of the pieces together. And it takes that visionary mind to see what is out there and to see what is possible. And he was also so effective, as you talk quite a bit about, in making sure that that personal vision, that that stamp impacted every single aspect of Fox News, top to bottom. Exactly. And I, and I, and I write um, a lot in the book about Roger Ailes' time as a, as a Broadway producer in the 1970s which is a fascinating interlude in his life. You know, he's had this, uh, this incredible journey through American culture, the counterculture, right-wing culture. I mean, reading my book is really, uh, I hope for readers, an experience uh, of you know, late 20th century history. But during Ailes' time as a Broadway producer, he learned all of the things you need to do to marshal a production to get it onto the stage. And Fox News is very much a production. And you know, people inside the network joke, that the best show on Fox News is actually Roger Ailes' morning editorial meeting. And I really look at Fox News as a production. You know, what ends up on the screen is just the endpoint of everything else that happens inside the office. And Ailes creates this creative environment where everyone working in that building knows what the mission is, and it, and it, and it um, comes to its fullest expression with the, with the programming that winds up on the screen in people's households. But my book is this journey inside the hallways of the office in the network, and you see, really, it's an entire show, and the entire uh, studios, the hallways, the offices, is this soundstage that he's created. What impact did Reagan and the Reagan years have on Ailes? Well, that's a great question as well, and, um, you know, that was uh, really Ailes' journey back to power. Um, The late 70s was, was not an auspicious time for Roger Ailes, Watergate had really uh, uh, hammered the fortunes of Republicans, and as a Republican political operative, uh, it was not a, uh, a, a good climate for him to be winning elections. And uh, Ailes had sort of failed as a Broadway producer in the late 70s, had decided to commit himself back to politics and television, and he hitched himself to several, um, several key figures. His, uh, his earliest uh, win in that period was on behalf of Senator Al D'Amato in New York, and he rode that victory. It was a come-from-behind victory to get more Republican clients. And through the 80s, Ailes rode the Republican resurgence to the highest corridors of power, and it reached its, its, um, its apex in 1988 when he ran George H.W. Bush's media campaign. And he made George H.W. Bush the first sitting vice president 
to be elected president since Martin Van Buren. I mean, that is a, a phenomenal accomplishment. And so Ailes was a beneficiary of the Reagan resurgence. It's important to point out, he was not a Reagan insider. He had a, a limited role mm-hmm. in the 84 re-election campaign as a debate coach and a debate and doing debate prep. But he wasn't in the Reagan inner circle, but he was a direct beneficiary of the Republican resurgence that happened in the 1980s. Does Ailes look at his mission as changing minds or simply exploiting and capturing those already that that are leaning in his direction? Well, I can't get inside side of his head. I wouldn't presume to know what, what he would think of as his mission, but I can tell you what he has said about it publicly. And, um, and what he has said is fascinating. He says that he sees it uh, as his mission to convince people what it means to be, in his words, American. And it's this idea of saving the republic and his notion of what America is, is, is the mission of Fox News. And, and whether it's about changing minds or keeping or appealing to the people who share his vision of America, he really sees Fox News as a political project more than it is as a television or a, uh, a business project. What has been the nexus, as you've seen it evolve, as you've written about it, between Republican politics, the Republican Party, and Roger Ailes? Because that's mm-hmm. been a shifting alliance over the years as well. Yes, it's, uh, it's interesting. You know, it, uh, you know, it's changed through the years, um, and I document this in the book. Um, you know, I think the, 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 the peak of that synergy where the Republican Party and Fox News were in, were in complete synergy was during the 2000s, during the presidency of George W. Bush. Uh, I write um, in great detail about how Fox helped marshal support for the Iraq war in uh, the spring of, of 2003. And the politics of the George W. Bush White House dovetailed perfectly with the politics that Ailes was programming on Fox News. Um, but as Fox became more dominant, and especially during the rise of Barack Obama, uh, the, the agenda of Fox News and the Republican Party uh, kind of uh, diverted a little bit. And, and I argue in the book that Fox surpassed the Republican Party. Ailes became more powerful than the Republican Party in terms of driving uh, a message on the right. And now we're to a point where the Republican Party is subservient to the message that Roger Ailes puts on the screen on Fox News. And he has said in meetings, he, he has disdain for the Republican Party. He joked that the Republican Party couldn't organize a one-car funeral. And he blames the Republican Party for the misfortunes of Mitt Romney's candidacy. So uh, we're to a point where now Roger Ailes, as a television news executive, is effectively the most powerful person in in Republican politics. He has surpassed the GOP in terms of mobilizing voters. And what's so fascinating, and to me this is where, you know, Roger Ailes, there's a certain prophetic genius to Roger Ailes, is that he forecasts this very reality. Um, More than 40 years ago, after his work for Richard Nixon, he said that he envisioned a day when television would replace the political party as the mobilizer of, uh, of, as the mass mobilizer of voters. And, and here we are, you know, in the year 2014, and he achieved that, and he saw that, you know, decades ago, and, that, and that's a testament to his vision. It's interesting that, that he's also a little bit disingenuous in some respects. On the one hand, he blames the Republican Party for Mitt Romney's failure, and yet in various conversations that, that you quote, he's pretty critical of Mitt Romney, referring to him as Chinese food at one point. <laughs> yeah, well, that's... Uh... 
that's reflective of uh, of Ailes' humor, and uh, and he has, you know, demonstrated a a repeated pattern throughout his career of never taking responsibility for for anything and trying to leave um, the the maximum number of options uh, available to him. You know, there's a wonderful scene in the book um, when he's uh, the young executive producer of the Mike Douglas show, and he tells a colleague that you know you can have your back against the wall and you can talk your way out of anything. And I, and I, I, I really latched on to that quote because it was so evocative of the way Ailes has used uh, his savvy wordplay and his ability to spin and to dodge and to weave his way out of every uh, possible uh, career crisis, controversy, and scandal. And so um, it's, it's reflective of his uh, just, you know, he is, has the, um, he is just able to get himself out of every possible jam. And so that's also what has gotten him to this point. And looking at it from precisely this point, Ailes is 73 years old. It, you, you've talked about, you know, the network is fading a little bit. Certainly the demographic is fading. The country is changing. W- what does it bode for Ailes' future going forward right now, do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> on the, uh, you know, the, the number one, uh, one, number one thing you need to look at is, you know, Fox's business success. And it's un, un, unquestionable that it remains a, you know, powerhouse. Uh, a financial powerhouse. It generates a, a, about a billion dollars of profit a year for Rupert Murdoch's media empire. Um, it's still the number one rated cable news network. It's, you know, Ailes is completely secure uh, on all of the uh, business uh, metrics that he would be judged by. I think the really interesting question is looking ahead to the 2016 election because, you know, Ailes has demonstrated an ability to get Republican voters to the polls. The 2010 midterms was a, was a route for Democrats. He got the Tea Party all energized to help Republicans sweep the House. But what Fox has failed at um, since 2008 is helping Republicans win a national majority. And I think the real testament, the real question for, for Ailes' legacy will be if, if he hangs on, what role does Fox play in the 2016 election? And can can they reverse the trend line that has been working against them since 2008? Gabriel Sherman, the book is The Loudest Voice in the Room, How the Brilliant, Bombastic Roger Ailes Built Fox News and Divided a Country. It's just out from Random House. Gabe, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. <laughs> 